Who remembers our overview of the book last week? Give me, let's have some bullet points. I mean, actually, we have Roger, who's gone first here and raised his hand. I'm going to go around the room and everybody, no, I may not be everybody has a one line. It happened in Philippi. It happened in Philippi. The letters to the. Well, actually, uh, one point that strikes me, it's on the Roman road, that, that special, uh, that's a name for it, anyway, that, that provided commerce. And so it was a place that was strategic. A, a lot right. of people went through there, so having a body of believers there was pretty pretty substantial and pretty important. Really. What? Via Ignatia. Yeah, thank you. Yes, I was trying to think of it. I couldn't think of the name. Via Ignatia. Yeah. Yes, he was written from prison, or not prison, house. Prison ministry, one of many, right? Okay. Is it a Roman colony? I'm sorry? Roman colony? Roman colony, okay. I thought it was a resort, a Roman resort. Well, it wasn't a resort, but what do you remember about the people living there? Vacation there, the Romans. Anybody remember anything about the people living there? Did they have kind of special privileges? Yes. Yeah. I yes. Mean, they, they didn't pay taxes. They really had a free, free lifestyle. So this is kind of a unique uh, city of the times. Who 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 named the city? It was named for the, King Philip. Philip. Yeah, Philip the second. <laughs> I what wasn't he related? Alexander the, the, yeah, Alexander yeah. the Great. <laughs> Alexander the Great's father. Father. That's okay. All. okay. We're doing well here. <laughs> so what you've done is. <laughs> Have me eliminate the review slide that I was going to put. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move into the epistle today. It's entitled Greeting and Prayer. And I think it's kind of interesting in ways, and hopefully you'll see that as we progress through the, through the chapter. So I'm going to read Philippians 1, 1 through 1, 5 today, and we'll come back to the verses sequentially. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi with, with the bishops and the deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you all with joy. But your fellowship and the gospel, for the fellowship and the gospel from the first day until now. All right, first verse. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are identified with the bishops and deacons. So this is kind of the standard salutation, as the writer is identified here as Paul, actually, and Timothy. But the evidence is Paul wrote this letter. Timothy was with him, but the letter reflected the opinion of both of them. The addressee, who's the addressee? All the saints. All the saints saints. in Philippi. And the greetings are those that are present here, but moreover, what follows. So what about Timothy or Timotheus? Actually, his name means he who honors God. I think that was kind of interesting. Did anybody really know that, that what Timothy meant? I, th- I think that's that's kind of interesting. He who honors God. What about Timothy? It's kind of like what martyr kind of reminds me of. What about Bob? You know, I, don't know if I get that gets mentioned all the time here. So, what about Timothy? <laughs> Uh, Who knows a lot about Timothy? His mother was a Jew, but his father was a Jew. Okay, so mixed background. Okay, thanks, Bob. 
other thoughts about Timothy? He was taught by his mother and grandmother. Mm-hmm. What's that? He was taught by his mother and grandmother. Okay. Do you have your mic on, by the way? Give everybody turn their mics on. Yes. Okay. Well, let's, I think Constable did it better than I could, so I'm just going to lift what he said and read it to you. Timothy was an associate of Paul's and may have served as his secretary as Paul dictated this letter. That's speculation, but I think it's probably reasonable. But Timothy was not the co-author of this particular letter. The Philippians knew him since he had been with Paul when Paul founded the church in Philippi. Remember, we addressed that last week, too. That's in Acts 16, 1 through 12. And on subsequent occasions, also documented in Acts 19 and chapter 12, Of Jesus Christ. Does it go back to Romans 6? Okay. Okay, that's good. We were once a slave to sin, but now we're a slave. Beautiful. Okay. Had the book of Romans been written at this time? No. No. Not yet. But all those as well. The doctrine was there, though. Yeah. All right. So we're going to come back to that in a second. I should have placed, in fact, this Macaulay's comments about about uh, Timothy too. Their backgrounds were as diverse as they could be, different in nationality, age, background, position, and experience. Despite this, they found a unity in the relationship of common submission to Jesus Christ. And that's really to the first point. I should have dropped that up above what this next point is about bond servants. So let's get back to bond servants. Bond servants, sorry, doulos. One who gives himself up wholly to another's will. So back to Romans 6. Bob, you want to say that again for us? Uh, we'd have to read it, but we were once a slave to sin, slaves, good. Uh, but now uh, we're a slave <clears throat> to Christ. So as a believer today, how would you describe being a bondservant? Is this something that we have a chain around our leg and we're kind of dragged along here? Or is it something different than that? Well, we have his life, so that's so. But that doesn't, you know. Isn't this the exchange life? So that bond servant now is one of love and, and dedication, energized by the Holy Spirit in a whole new life that we call the exchange life. For me to live as Christ. And, of course, to die is gain. I always say either way you win here. It's, but, it's uh, like being part of the family, isn't it? It, it really is. So the bond servant is like a, a blood-born relative. Yeah. In fact, and our Heavenly Father is, if you, the bad, bad metaphor is our earthly father, but nevertheless. Yes, we're part of a family of God, and that's a new life. It's not making good choices. Right. Okay, good. To whom is this letter being addressed? The church. It says, it says all, 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 the, all the saints. Church all right. Why all saints and just not some of them? 
Is that a trick question? Yeah. <laughs> good. Uh, good, Bob. That's good. The purpose of bunch of them may seem pretty dull and unexciting. If you get your involved and Bob, you're involved. That's what that's all about. That's good. We're all saints. We're all saints. It's made to be set apart. And, and, and that's, again, back to what we just said about the, the life we live. It's a whole new creation. And that's kind of neat because polishing the old man just doesn't work, does it? So, so. all right. Um, of interest, um, in no other of Paul's epistles does he address elders or deacons in the church. Why? Why do you think he addresses them here? Now, we I think most of you are sufficiently educated as other letters to kind of think about how we might compare Philip, the church at Philippi to the other churches. Remember, this is a prison epistle. But Paul's locked up now. Wasn't Philippi a more involved church? I mean, they were more, uh, what can I say, involved in their in the ministry, in the church. I mean, it, it was a, a pretty yes. well-founded the, 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 church. No, they, had, they had all the moving parts. Yeah. I mean, they had the elders and deacons. Maybe not every church had elders and deacons. I don't know. Yeah, I, thought, I have a note here that says it was the first church, one of the first churches in, in Europe. To be established. So it was the first church in Europe. Yes, that's correct. Other thoughts? Isn't it also the fact that uh, the doctrine of uh, the church, um, the way the church is set up, wasn't really established that much until the prison epistles with uh, 1st, 2nd Timothy, uh, Philemon, First and Second Timothy, of course, followed this. So, mm-hmm. some of the last epistles. So, what was your point, Bob? I'm not sure I grasped it. I don't think he really addressed uh, the uh, hierarchy of the church, and until later on during the prison epistles. So, we covered this some last week. What might have been unique about Paul's relationship to the church at Philippi? How about number one, he founded the church. Mm-hmm. So the whole church hierarchy in terms of administrative structure may have been very much a part of the way he set the church up. Now we're going to come to define what bishops and deacons means in a second. But it's presumably a higher authority, if you will, pastoral, pastoral role or ultimately elder-like responsibilities. So what else happened uniquely to, to Paul that relates to this church in Philippi? We touched on this slide, please. What, what do you what do you think about Aphrodite? Did he have a unique role here? What did yeah, Aphrodite do? Their, their care and concern for him when he was sick. Yeah, he went. He took carried a gift right. from the church back to Rome. Right, he went, made the trip back to Rome, and ultimately that re- reflects some sort of a structure that occurred in the, the Church of Philippi that ultimately led to his going back to provide a gift. And of course, we learned also the Church of Philippi provided many gifts to other bodies of Christ, including the Church of Jerusalem. So I, I think the, we don't know, know an answer here to this. And I'm just asking us to think out loud, why might we have addressed the, the bishops that do deacons? So let's, let's describe this. Bishops, episcopos, Best described as an overseer, perhaps an elder of the uh, local church, 
who make sure that things are done correctly. I mean, so that's a bishop. Now, to, you know, in the mainline Protestant church, there were these bishops, you know, <laughs> kind of like cardinals of the Roman <laughs> Catholic church. I mean, yeah. this, this name that maybe had some administrative responsibilities connected to it to oversee a body of, say, mainline churches over a re- region. But yet here, here the bishop was local and ultimately presumably had administrative responsibilities to oversee probably the spiritual foundation of the church and how things are carried out. Now, we'll be interested what a de- what's a deacon before I put it up. <laughs> it's described by, uh, by, by, I think, strong on the deacons. All right. That's a good answer, everyone. <laughs> the ones that serve the body. Today we describe it as servants of the body. But interestingly here, according to the original description, it's one who, by virtue of the office assigned to him by the church, cares for the poor and is charge of and distributes the money collected for their use. Hmm. Well... Is that what our deacons do here? Well, some, 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 do, some do. well, part of that fits. Partly? Part, the money part. The money part. <laughs> you know, it's, it's by trying to compare back then and what the church is today because of the influence of so many other denominations. Yeah. Or, oh, or that all over the place, and mainly the Catholic Church. Right. You see a lot of their stuff that has been moved into the. Uh, Christian church, you know. Hey, what other epistle stands out in terms of dealing with the poor? The book of Acts. Acts. Yeah, I'm sorry? The book of Acts. Okay, that, that's not an epistle, though, is it? No. 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 Okay. That's what they were first. We studied it here. <laughs> the book of James, right? A lot, a lot in James deals with the poor. But I think Paul relates to the poor in multiple epistles that he writes. But the deacon was described here for a very unique purpose. The uh, In the book of Acts, the deacons were originally uh, set up so that the elders could preach the word and concentrate on teaching the word uh, and let the deacons take care of all the other things. Okay. Yeah. And that's effectively... What they do today. I mean, our elders, Roger and Mike, are really involved in in the pulpit and also in classrooms, teaching Sunday school. So, yeah, that's their responsibility. They're spiritual leaders. Whereas the deacons are servants. I think that's the best way to simplify what they are. But it's interesting what the strongest definition of the deacons was in that time to think of what their purpose was. And I, I, you know, the early church may have been more simplistic too than as, as Wayne mentioned, all the denominations that are out there today too. All right, good, good discussion. And the question to the class is this <laughs> their role today. And I think we kind of touched on that in detail. Any other thoughts here? Uh, I was going to say one thing, Bob, um, you know, the, the ministry of the poor is I think sometimes hard to understand almost in our culture today. It's it's almost hard for us to even identify anyone who's genuinely poor within our within our bodies in North America. You know, I mean, we're just it's just so different today. But but I guess one of the things that happens sometimes is the confusion with sort of the social gospel mentality of we need to go out and feed all the poor in Denver, or you know, and, and, and so we get some kind of confusing issues um, uh, on some of these things. But I mean, I think I think in terms of what we saw in Acts and 
and, and this role of you know taking care of the poor is, is specifically those uh, within the church, right? So why do we not have a large number of poor people in our churches today? Um, <laughs> the, 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 the government's taken over that role. <laughs> well, in a sense, I, we had a discussion, Bob and my Kirk Morgan, in our Bible study the other night, about the fact that the church used to take care of a lot of this. Bob, I think you made that point. Too. You want to enlarge on that point? Well, uh, 60 years ago, uh, the church, not only the church took care of the older people, but the families took care of their right. older people. Right. And then when uh, Roosevelt came in right. uh, and decided to uh, start okay, the socialism, true. New, uh, deal. New, New Deal, deal. <laughs> then uh, uh, the government took over that, and uh, yep. now we don't... Well, our kids were still pretty young, actually. I used to take our three daughters down to, to do music down there. I'm remembering that as kind of an interesting experience. But anyway, all that aside, the question was, how well did the Denver Rescue Mission rescue people from hell to begin with? Did they get saved? And ultimately, how well were they doing in rescuing them to a lifestyle that was more capable of being carried out on their own direction or the Lord's direction for them? I don't know. I don't have the data, but it was pretty dismal. The, the yeah. hurries were numerous. And today with the homelessness that we're experiencing, mm-hmm. but it, it's an, an atmosphere of entitlement by government today, isn't it? Rather than the church body reaching out to these people. They don't come to us except they, if they want a handout, right? right? And that's typically not on Sunday anymore, is it? I mean, we <laughs> well, sometimes start. sometimes they go on Sunday. <laughs> but anyways, so Miles, your, your thoughts about our Thanksgiving Canada's there's just entitlement mindset there to up to. Yeah, very similar. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think in uh, to Timothy, uh, in First Timothy, Paul uh, addresses the issue of, of widows and you know, the widows indeed, you know, there are those, even those who are in a difficult situation who are still don't you know, I mean, he says that the responsibility is the families first, and right, and, and when there isn't that, then the church can, can pitch in there. Right. Well, it was a true blessing for us to take Margaret's mom in over her last five years, mm-hmm. keep her from being institutional. Yeah, we didn't want to put her yeah. in a yeah. you know a nursing home oh, or whatever, and she loved being with us. Yeah. Now let's go on to verse 2 then. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a pretty common salutation. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you find interesting about this particular greeting? Go back up again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what about grace? You know, grace can be interpreted in several different ways. And what I'm going to do here is, is share this with you. This is the Greek term charis, which we use commonly in this body of Christ here. And this can be unmerited favor, which I think all the commentators, Constable, Weist, everybody said that that's what it is. Or it can mean goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. I mean, it, it, as a general greeting, what do you think Paul means here? Is he talking about grace as unmerited favor? Or is this kind of the standard goodwill, loving kindness, and favor? I have an opinion, but what do you think? Well, he, he uses this term in other pla- other epistles as well, grace and peace. It's, I'm not sure how many times, but that's a pretty common, it, very set, common of word, right. pretty mm-hmm. set of words. 
So it makes me, I'm going to jump out here. <laughs> it makes me think that I'm going to lean more toward this more in a term of a general greeting to people. That's and not so much, that's not so much doctrinal information. How many people think this is a general greeting and not anything that I've done there in favor? How many are not voting? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the standard thing. <laughs> you know, Weiss has a different opinion. He says, in the, in the case of the Greek, the favor was done to a friend, never an enemy. In the case of God, it was an enemy, the sinner, bitter in his hatred of God for whom the favor was done. God has no strings tied to the salvation he procured for man at the cross. Salvation is given the believing sinner, one of the poor for the pure generosity of God's heart. So I think he initially says it was a favor, a good reading time, but I think ultimately he's saying that this is really God's grace. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I, well, I, I well, think this is a general greeting and maybe not so founded in scriptural grace as we currently understand it today, but I, whatever. <laughs> so any other thoughts in video land out there? Like <laughs> Kind of almost wonder if Paul, you know, great though grace was a greeting in, in Greek culture, the the Christian uh, understanding of grace is greatly expanded through the right. grace of God that we understand. I like and that. Paul, Paul was able to extend that even to the Galatians. He says grace and peace to you, and they didn't really like him, but you know, <laughs> at that point, but he still extended grace to them. <laughs> So in a sense, it could be a combination of both, could it? The idea is this is just a general greeting, goodwill, favor, you know, I love you guys, kind of just a standard greeting, and oh, by the way, you're founded on the principle of grace. I mean, so both. That's good. Okay, what about peace? Peace um, is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. Again, putting a very spiritual connotation to this. And so fearing nothing from God and content with this earthly lot of whatsoever sort that it is. And that's Strong's definition of peace. So I'm going to say to the class another question. We're keeping you going here this morning. Is this the peace of God or a peace with God? It's what do you think? Peace that passes all understanding. All right. Is that peace of God yeah. or peace with God? It's, what 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 would be the difference between the peace of God versus the peace with God? Let's deal with the peace with God. How do we have peace with God? Goodness is righteousness. How about through salvation? Reconciliation. Well, okay. He hath made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How can you beat that verse? So peace with God is the cross entirely, is it not? Bob? Yes. Is that kind of talking about our position? That we're, you know, if we have a position with him, then we have peace with him? No, I'm fine with that. Absolutely. Yeah, that fits perfectly well, Carol. Thank you. But what is the peace of God? How is that different, maybe? I mean, it's all from the Lord. So, <laughs> I mean, maybe this is, you know, picking at straws too closely here, but the peace of God, I think, is a little bit different. What is the peace of God? Do you have the peace of God as you walk day in and day out? Having peace with God allows us to have the peace of God. This is Holy Spirit indwelled and lifts us up and encourages us and gives us joy through trials and tribulations. So what do you think here? Is this peace with God that salvation has occurred? We have positional standing in him, Carolyn, thank you. Or is this the peace of God in our day-to-day -day walk? Or so, is it different? Both. 
<laughs> yeah, okay, good. But I, I, am I trying to go too far with this? No, I think no, that's that the peace of God and peace with God are somewhat different. They are. They're all related to God's great grace and mercy. Well, well, as we walk in dependence upon him and fellowship with him, we have his life and therefore his peace. So that's what okay. that's the of peace with God. So part. is it both the position and yeah. condition? Yeah. I think our condition is yeah. the peace of God. We walk right. in, in peace. And that begins having peace with God. That's all cross-dependent. But our day-to-day walk is cross-dependent, right? Mm-hmm. Our old man has been crucified. And so the walk we have through a new nature empowered by the Holy Spirit is the peace of God in our day-to-day existence. Is everybody kind of okay with that, or am I stretching this a little too far? Miles, any thoughts on on that? I think that's really good. Yeah. Hey, Bob? Yes. Mm -hmm. Hey, um, this just came to mind. Um, Someone said that when he says (laughs) grace and peace... Um, grace charis was a, a Greek greeting. The Greeks knew that well. And then when you say peace as a greeting, that's Jewish. So it's like saying shalom. So it's, it's a combination, a Greek greeting and a, uh, Jewish greeting to these saints. Yeah. It's kind of a cool point. Yeah, maybe, but the tone that I gave in the parenthesis behind peace, the handout you may have, you may not have. But it's Irene. I mean, is that, I presume that was Greek, not no. Hebrew. Oh, sure. yeah, that's Greek. Yeah. But, yeah. but he has a good point, I think. That's a good point. That's, yeah. I, it's just, he wouldn't substitute a Hebrew term in there, I guess. No, so no, no. Uses, yeah. But the Philippian church is Gentiles mostly, right? <laughs> but, but I think, I think Andrew's point is that that's by Paul's nature, he's, He's made it reflects his cultural okay. background. I don't yeah. know. So that's you know, this is we're kinda of going off. <laughs> well, we have all the room to go off on a rabbit trail. That's great. No, I love it. I love it. It's great. All right, let's continue. I've combined the last three verses together, so let's see if that works. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all with joy, requests for all of you with joy <laughs> from your fellowship of the gospel. From the first day until now. So all of Paul's epistles except Galatians begins in a similar manner with Thanksgiving indicative of a warm sentiment. And I think I think Miles, you mentioned that maybe the Galatians were not particularly you know that friendly with Paul in terms of all of his messages they went to the Galatian church. Um how's uh, this from message to be received by the Philippian church. What, what do you think? What, what's their perception of this message? If you were in the Philippian church and you got this letter, let me go back up and make sure we all see this together. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, that he will trust for you, et cetera, et cetera. What would you think if you were a member of the Philippian church? That he loves them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And they're they're his peeps. Is it is it maybe more than just the love that he has for them, or what do you think? Fellowship. Yeah. Okay. The, the fellowship is participation. Fellowship. Yeah. That these people are important to him. All right. Does does this maybe suggest a kind of a special relationship there? Do you think? Yeah. That he cares. That he cares for them, and they're they're it's kind of his maybe his favorites. I think this is really a deep seated greeting he's providing them. Mm-hmm. 
If I were at the Church of Philippi, I might get a little cocky about this. This is really a very superfluous message in terms of Paul's love for them. Yes, his, his love, I think, is well stated. So this is really a message that would be uplifting if I were in the Church of Philippi to get a letter from the guy who founded the church, right? All right, let's go ahead. Does Paul really mean every or all remembrance? Well, to reflect on that, Weiss says that the word every in the Greek has the idea of whole. So that's all-encompassing, is it not? And Macaulay says the word all shows that Paul does not have a specific incident in mind for when he's thankful, for which he's thankful, but rather is referring to his entire or total experience with the church at Philippi. That's kind of So, yeah. again, that's a very special greeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. we can look back at the greetings of the churches. They're all warm <laughs> and fuzzy. But, I mean, this. In every prayer of mine, remember, Paul is praying from his jail in Rome. I wonder why that, I thought about that. Yeah. Anyway, um, so what, what do you make of this? Every prayer of mine. So how often is Paul praying in, in, in the Roman prison? A lot. A lot. <laughs> Nonstop. If, 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 so uh, Bobby, if, if you were in prison, I'm sure you'd be praying a lot too. <laughs> well, um, if you saw this prison, you Paul say that prayer elsewhere? And I had to go to one verse because one that comes back all the time. Pray without ceasing, right? First Thessalonians five seventeen. Yeah, Bob. I was going to say that a lot of people think about prayer as get up in the morning, get down on your knees, and you pray, or you pray before you eat. Uh, but prayer, to me, is continually all day long it really is. uh if if you see something you say thank you lord uh that's a prayer if you if you do something stupid <laughs> you you immediately say confess that to the lord and and, and uh get back in fellowship uh th- this is something that goes on continually well bob that's the new life in christ jesus it's about this constant communication right back and forth right. all the time so prayer without ceasing. And by the way, one of the commentators, I'm not sure which one, it may have not been the three babies that I'm representing today, Macaulay, uh, Weast, or possible, but it was another one that I looked at said, his prayer list must have been long. <laughs> and returning to the days where I was on the lawn, I had this prayer list, right? And it made me kind of shudder for a minute or two, but that fortunately was transient. <laughs> All right. So he's making requests for you all with joy. For you all, I think, indicates that Paul desires to declare his love for all alike and will not recognize any divisions among them. Isn't that neat? I mean, that's one thing I think we have a very special privilege of experiencing here is the oneness we have in this body. All right, joy. Don't you think joy imparts a theme of this epistle? We touched base briefly on that last week. If you had to describe the epistle of the Philippians, I think joy would be near the top of the things that we might list. And by the way, joy is mentioned many other places in the book. So we could document that by its repetitive use by Paul in his letter. So how should we interpret fellowship or koinonia here? 
they were fellow workers. They they were getting out the gospel. Getting out the gospel, one component fellowship. What else would it be? I think, as Carolyn said, he had a very special relationship with the Philippines. But when we think about fellowship, why don't we think about globally? If somebody said, you know, are you having fellowship? Well, how would you answer that? You're like-minded. like-minded yeah. Okay, but who, who's that fellowship with? Well, is it is it just spending time together and, you know, like... That's one, one you know, <laughs> All right, let's see what people smarter than me would say about this. Macaulay, <laughs> fellowship is viewed three ways in the Philippians. First, there was fellowship with Christ, okay, which was revealed in suffering, chapter 1, verse 29. We'll come to that. Second, there was fellowship with one another. That's what Margaret mentioned, and we all are experiencing that to some extent, which was revealed in unity. That's chapter 2. And finally, there was fellowship with Paul, which was revealed in financial giving. So that's kind of the way Macaulay views this. Constable has a little bit more to say. Constable often has a lot more to say. Anyway, uh, the, the fellowship in view as the use of this word in the New Testament indicates means sharing together with mutual activity and mutual benefit in a close bond. Partnership in the gospel includes partnership with God and with other believers that the gospel makes possible. It also involves participation in the work of getting the gospel to people. The Philippians had recently sent Paul a gift and had done uh, some more had done some more than once before, had done that more than once before. However, Paul's use of koinonia here implies a broader meaning than just physical assistance. It probably includes all that Paul and his readers shared as committed Christians who sought to discriminate. To, to, to disseminate the gospel. So that, um, and I, I just ask, we've kind of addressed this, how does this relate to our fellowship here today? And I think the fellowship goes beyond just one with the other. It's with the Lord Jesus Christ directly, and it's probably in part sharing the truth with the unsaved world. Okay? And by the way, to end now, I like Lee's translation of verse 5 better. Let's see what Lee's had to say. I am constantly thanking my God for your joint participation in the furtherance of the gospel from the first day until this particular moment. And when we think of first day, we can think of that, that reflects Paul's past and more recent events in and from the church of Philippi, which began with Lydia, remember? <laughs> the Philippian jailer will cover and ultimately through the gift that Epaphrodite provided. So Paul's got this history of his relationship to the church of Philippi. That is very, very special. So from the first day, which would be no video experience in scripture, until the moment that he's in jail and prison and experiencing a gift from the church. And that wasn't a simple trip <laughs> that Epaphrodites made from Philippi to Rome. All right, that's that's our lesson for today. Uh, any passing or closing thoughts from anyone, please? All right, Miles, would you close us in prayer, please? Yeah, absolutely. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, just what it is that you uh, have done and are, and are still carrying out today in the church, the body of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for uh, the, the fellowship that, uh, that we have um, in, uh, in, in the, same, the same way it carries on today. 
as we uh, seek to uh, to spread the gospel and uh, to share your word. Uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for all that you are uh, teaching us uh, already in these first few verses of Philippians. We pray that you would continue to uh, just teach us from your word and, and build us up in in grace and the knowledge of you and of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Amen. Thank you, boss.